Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello, and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today, I have Kimberly Rush on. Kimberly, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You have, I'm excited to talk to you. You're, um, you're three hours different from me in time zone. And so we're making it happen here. You have a website called consciouscontent.org and you're part of that. Tell me about that and what you're doing right now. So Conscious Content is a humanities media company. That's what our trademark is, essentially. And the the goal is to create education and awareness on issues that matter to humanity. And so we have a few verticals, but the primary one right now that we've taken such a deeper dive into is mental health. And since one in five people in the United States have mental health diagnosed mental health issues, I'm sure the percentage is considerably higher for those who have not talked about it. Um, but for that, we, you know, the, the goal is to create the education awareness piece around specifically post-traumatic stress disorder and complex or compound post, uh, post-traumatic stress. And so before it becomes a disorder, the, the goal is to educate people, how does it become a disorder? Because not every person who is exposed to trauma is going to have PTSD. They just won't, maybe 20% won't. And, and how or why they get that, our, our doctor, our medical board, Dr. Warden, she discusses that. And in our film, Light in the Darkness, which is primarily about PTSD, which was stimulated by my story, but is not in the film, um, allowed five survivors, five experts, and um, a multitude of, of kind of sub storylines throughout the film uh, to be projected onto the big screen. And we just had a huge, like our it was our premiere. Like we've, we've premiered in LA before, but that was for like film festivals and just kind of getting like our feet wet. Um, our film cost a lot more than we thought it was going to. <laughs> and it took almost uh, two and a half years to complete. So we thought it was going to be $11,000 and some friends talking about like what we thought it was going to be, you know, like turn into the Blair Witch Project, you know, <laughs> and then it ended up being, it ended up being a real production with a real, huge uh, financial sponsor, um, great equipment. We have Blackmagic and Sony and uh, Canon and um, that all were shot in 4K and 6K. And so we didn't really know what was going to happen, but we started having a story and pretty soon one person talked to another, we talked to another who said, you should really talk to this person. I went through my, my corporate Rolodex of 20 years and, and went back and said, ah, Dr. Warden, you're a naturopathic medicine doctor and you have some really cool things that you've done by teaching other educators. Do you think that you could talk on mental health? And she's like, Oh my gosh, yes, of course I could. So she got super excited. Her husband ironically is a Grammy award winning composer. And so he uh, opted in on, even with no budget at the beginning um, and said, you know what I'll do, I'll compose your film um, music, which was like who does that i was like okay really and he's like i feel like because all these people that are involved in our film are very like i have a history of being a shaman so i worked in bermuda for six years i was a shaman on the island um and those people kind of knew me from that shamanistic you know good energy you know we're all healing we're all connected we're all whatever metaphysical but 
still grounded in science and um, earth medicine. And, and when I called in the favors, they were like, yeah, that feels because that's how we speak. That feels good to me. That feels like something I should do. That feels like that's where my resources and my energy should go. And I would love to help you with this project. And that was conversation after conversation after conversation. I, w I watched a podcast. No, I watched a uh, TED Talk uh, with one of the very first people that I ever reached out to, which is Dr. Janet Seahorn. She is um, a TED Talk um, person. She is a professor at the University of Colorado. She is a PTSD expert. She educates um, other universities, other educators on PTSD. Her husband, Tony Seahorn, is one of the, they're both co-authors of Tears of a Warrior. And they, so they go into VAs and they are really committed. They're more kind of on the military aspect of it than let's say the civilian aspect of it. But I thought for balance, we needed to like understand where do people feel like PTSD comes from? Because that's what we believe it to come from. But what if people in the civilian world got it? Domestic abuse survivors, sexually, sexual assault survivors, rape victims, um, uh, battered women, um, children that were malnourished, like um, people, uh, babies that update, you know, the whole Romanian baby thing, like where, you know, they didn't get any love until 18 months and they don't release oxytocin and their personalities are completely altered for the rest of, of their life. And that actually causes PTS. And so that whole thing, and I was like, this is like an epidemic. And all of those people that are in other countries that are, are abandoned or are told to are exiled out of their country, like who's talking to them, you know? And so the problem in my brain was so big and I was like, all right, bring it in. Cause I'm like a big picture person, but I'm like an executor. Like I'm gonna go from A to Z pretty quickly and I'm going to hone it in and just get it done. Well, when you start to involve the world, it gets pretty big and then it get, got overwhelming. And I personally have PTS. I don't know that I, if I have the disorder anymore because I went through like the shamanistic. The interesting thing is that you said people who go through traumatic events, which has got to be and like, I get that that's an overwhelming number, but only 20% of people who go through uh, traumatic events actually have PTS or PTSD, the actual disorder, which that's great because it's not 80%, it's 20%. But I understand why that number just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Take us back into the situation that happened with you that kind of launched this whole project. And the website's phenomenal, by the way. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal website. It has so much information. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, okay. So, so, um, I think I'll start from the, the from the idea and then it will go retroactive to like what triggered it because because I think like some people in our film, there's a moment in time where they are looking out like Dr. John King did look out at the daffodils and all of a sudden he's like, what a beautiful day. And he looks at the daffodils and all of a sudden flash comes across and for three and a half years, he had regression of all of his, he was human trafficked, trafficked when he was young, he was two and a half years old that he can remember from having his first sexual experience where his parents trafficked him out to parties and things like that at two. And then he had a baby sister and it was just really messed up. But that happens to certain people where he is at the epitome speaking as a pastor to 15,000 people on a weekly basis. And now he's in his shed crying and doesn't know who he is. 
in the fetal position because he can't stop seeing the images and doesn't really know where they're coming from. And so <clears throat> he was one of the first stories. So there was, there was some self-exploration happening. So, okay, I'm going to try and figure out how there's like a timeline, but there's a lot of growth that happens in between me meeting each one of our experts and them telling me their story and me going, oh, okay, that makes sense. So I'm so type A, so type normal, so type corporate, so efficient, um, dress well, drive a nice car, have primary breadwinner, like very organized. My kids are like in line, like the whole thing until until I'm not, I guess. Everything was great, not really. Like there was never really any joy, I guess. I was a worker bee. Everybody would say, you're a worker bee, you know, you get things done. I was top in the nation for any corporation I ever worked. Um, always did really well financially, um, had a beautiful closet, had great friends, did lots of fun things, did traveling, did the whole thing. But one person had asked me, I think it was my best friend actually. And he's like, when was the last time you felt joy? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's just like, no, seriously, like joy. Like when you get on the ride and you're like, ah, you know? And I was like, I'm not really sure I know what you mean. And he's like, exactly, that's a problem. And I was like, is it? Is it a problem? And he's just like, no, it really, it really is a problem. And so that was probably at the time, probably like 15 years ago. And I was married and doing my thing and being a of purpose and everybody was where they needed to be and so so there were there were fragments of, of my life that I could control. Lots of things I could control. I could control aesthetics. I could control pillows on the couch. I could control the bed being made and the sheets being changed two to three times a week and having a cleaning lady make sure my bathroom was clean and like all that kind of stuff that I could control that was um, aesthetically on the outside was in direct correlation that I understand now is direct correlation of how my brain was functioning earlier. So if the outside of the information I was taking in was orderly and connected and made sense and was where it was needed, needed to be and people were saying, what I thought they should be saying and people were reacting how I needed them to react I was good until they had their own mind and then I was like why are they acting like that I don't understand so that was one of the nuances of PTSD so that's one thing um, when a person who has PTSD or PTSD starts to unravel it becomes ridiculous it becomes ridiculous in the way that they go from complete a lot. Okay. So there's a, a myth. So I'll get back to the story, but there are some symptoms that, that happen to many people and they don't know where those symptoms come from. And no one really wants to have a conversation of taking a deeper dive into the bullshit that they went through when they were younger or in high school or bad experiences that happened to them or having a bad marriage. But the question is, is why did they attract that person? How did that happen? And then go back to high school. Were you a good student? Did you have self-control? Were you a party person? Where did that come from? Let's go back further. Did you have a lack of control? Were your parents involved? Were they not involved? Were they alcoholics? Did you have to take care of them? Let's go back even further. You know, do you remember being loved and hugged and kissed and whatever? And if you were, was it inappropriate or was it totally appropriate? You know, did you have a nuclear family or people around you that you trusted? Did you? Many people didn't. And so, like, for me, my mom is awesome. My dad was awesome until they weren't. My mom, I was a latchkey kid. My parents got divorced when I was five, and they fought constantly. And so when they got divorced, I was a latchkey kid. 
you know, remember what latchkey kids are, right? I was too. So yep. People, I get, I remember it vividly. Yes. So, so for people who don't know what latchkey is, especially like the newer generation, they latchkey is like, you literally get a key around your neck to your house when you're in kindergarten, first and second grade, and maybe even a little bit older and you go home and you go grab a snack and you do your homework or you watch TV if you have one and you don't move. You don't move and you call your mom at work and you're like, I'm home. And she's like, great. I'll see you in an hour. Don't move. You know, it's kind of like that in a perfect situation, right? Well, I also had a younger brother. So I would take him from a really young age. If we didn't have like daycare after school, I would take him and we would walk through the forest literally um, to our house and um, hang tight. You know, hang tight. I was probably eight and his four. And, um, and so there was a lot of like, a lot of like making sure that I took care of him and took care of myself and cleaned my room because I could control that even though it was super messy. But at the end of the day, I was learning a lot of a lot of um, really important uh, traits, I guess, of self-sustainability and, and learning how to take good care of myself. I think that our generation, like I'm 46, our generation has that. We get that. Our kids have that less. And I don't know if it's because we felt bad because our parents made us grow up by ourselves or what, but my kids are 15, 21, and 28, very different from each other, but very different in the way that they look at independence. And so even though I'm kind of a hard ass sometimes, they still know I have their back. When sometimes we didn't know growing up, do they really have her back? I'm certainly not telling my mom that this happened. You know what I mean? And then you just kind of deal with it. My kids tell me stuff and I'm like, why are you telling me? Like, why would I tell you this? Like, I shouldn't even know this, you know? So communication is good, but then that just leads to a whole different plethora of problems. So now I'm eight years old. So I'm going to just fast forward to the story. So I'm eight years old. My, mo uh, my mom's a single mom. She's going to university. She's doing great. She's working full time. I'm helping with my brother a lot. We have babysitters. We live in a very lower middle class area in central Wisconsin. She does the best she can with what she's got. Let's just say it that way. And I love her, but my mom also has severe PTSD from sexual abuse, but she never, she stopped the generational like gap. Like she, she didn't progress. You were not abused. So that is a beautiful thing because from the research we've done, there's been a lot of, and from some of our clients and some of the people we've interviewed, it is generational and it happens a lot. And their parents and their grandparents, it just is something that they do and, I, and it's a sickness and nobody talks about it. So we also address it in our film. So now I'm eight years old, my mom finds a really super young hot guy who's like seven years younger than her. He's got it together, super cute. My mom's a beautiful woman. They hook up. They get married after three months. Everything I know, including my grandparents, that I can walk down the street for, we move to three different places within about a year because he's in finance and he keeps getting promoted. And she's like, oh my God, I saw, you know, like that kind of thing. And I'm eight. So I'm like, well, the hardest thing I think for me was leaving everything I knew and then going to something I didn't. And then going from a really tiny town of 17,000 people to 250,000 people and not knowing. Now, I've never seen... A, a Hispanic or a black person in my entire life at by age eight and we moved to the north side of Milwaukee in the ghetto. Had no idea. I'm I'm half Indian, half white, and so like native. And so I have long dark hair and I'm super dark like 
summer and you know kids go outside and play all the time and i go to this primarily black school and i am bullied bad i'm gonna i'm gonna cut your hair off i'm gonna rip your skin off i'm gonna beat your little brother's ass like i'm gonna do all these things and by these big big people and i was like okay this sucks this sucks how did we end up here in the ghetto like like i don't know that it's a ghetto. I just know that it's not really safe, but it was affordable housing at the time. And it was a gift for my grandparents, my parents, not for their new whatever. Could you imagine buying a house for $27,000, like, and owning it? No. But in 1983, 19, whatever, or 1982, whatever, that was a big deal, a big deal for them. My mom worked in the government. My stepdad worked in finance. They work and we are walking everywhere. And so as we're walking um, everywhere, I'm learning and I'm, I'm starting to get friends and I'm starting to do whatever and I'm starting to learn street smart, big street smart of like what to do, what not to do, the pecking order, what you say, what you don't say, when you go out, when you don't go out, if they walk up to the playground, do you leave or do you stay? I'm learning like all of the kind of nuances of like um, emotional intelligence from a really young age because I'm paying attention and I don't, and I trust my gut. I always have, like, if I don't feel safe, I'm, I'm, I'm out of there. Like, I'm not dealing with it. I tell my kids the same thing. Like, you know, so it's okay. Get up and leave. Unless somebody's got a gun to your head, which I actually have had, like, you can go. It's your right. You know, you get to, to own your body, right? And not only, I mean, not only are you aware and looking and watching, but you saw the dramatic change between the lifestyle you had and the new lifestyle. And as a kid, you don't know what's wrong, but you know something's not right. You don't have enough experience to compare it to other things. Because I went through the same thing. Parents divorced at six, latchkey kids. We moved to a lesser neighborhood. Mom remarried, went to a lesser neighborhood. And you figure that stuff out right away because you realize that you're at a, you're, you're, you get into survival mode right? Yeah. Yeah. Cortisol levels are high from a young age. And then that turns into neural network patterns, right? Neuro neurological patterns in your brain, where now you're like, Oh, I'm in survival mode. So I better move quickly. I better think quickly. I better assess the situation. I better do whatever. And at eight, nine and 10 years old, that can be amazing. Cause that was really good strategy for me when I was in finance. Like I could assess the situation in a room and I could get it done. But right. that was the survival aspect of it. My kids don't know what that is. They wouldn't even, I, they've never seen that because I made sure growing, but when they were growing up that they weren't exposed to that. So was it detrimental to them? I, maybe, I don't know, but I think they have a lot less experiences than I do or different experiences that I do, at least um, when it comes to emotional intelligence, um, when it comes to like uh, pra uh, practical application, when it, you know, and all of those kind of things that are tools, like you talk about a toolbox in your film, like what tools you have that you can assess situations with, the more tools you have, the better off you are. Um, for the most part, I think, especially when you're trying to deal with an adverse situation. Um, so now, now I'm kind of getting in the groove, right? I'm like understanding I got street smarts. I'm like the big protector of my brother. I'm probably a bigger, a taller girl for my size which now I'm really small, which is weird. All my friends like grew over me at like freshman year. But um, so I'm, I'm like nine, 10, I guess, I guess I'm around 10 years old. And where I grew up, there's a family, there's a mafia family that has taken an appreciation of me. I don't know why. Yeah, appreciation of me. 
um, because I am best friends with the grandson that I met from our neighborhood that would come and visit. And then I think his mom lived there and we just became super, super, super good friends. So we did absolutely everything, like everything together. We did everything together. And <clears throat> the, gosh, I can't really think. Um, so, so it's like, I don't remember when, what time of the year it is. You know how you like have a memory and you're like, was it cold out? I feel like it was, I feel like it was spring. Like now I'm trying to remember. I was even trying to find a newspaper article of the event that happened back then because it made national news because of who the family was. Um, and I couldn't find, I didn't really, I guess I could have digged harder, but I probably would have to go into the microfiche of like what it was because it was that old lingo. Um, but um, I'm home, so I'm just going to talk really quickly about this story because the story itself is like, what the fuck, right? Like yeah. nobody should be exposed to that. But what happens after that is 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 like sink or swim. Like, why did she do so well here? Well, it was because of this tragedy. Why did she suck here? Because of this tragedy. Like, it all goes back to like the things that I've learned, which is so amazing. Because even though I'm 46, I sometimes feel like a 10 year old, and that could be that could be trauma, or that could just be that I am simply refusing to get old. Like I just. I'm just not, not going to do it. Right. So we're, we're living in this neighborhood and I have friends and, and I'm a little bit of a rebel, but mostly the kids. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not getting into trouble. I'm not doing whatever, but if I got to beat someone down, I'm gonna like, that's just how it, how it is. But you don't tell anyone because it's in the street and then you just get home and you're fine. Everything's good. You're hit brush. Um, but so we're, we're coming home. I meet him after school it's like probably three thirty. like it's in the afternoon. Right. And we go over, he's like, Hey, come over to my house. And you know, we go there, we have a snack and we're, we're 10, we're like hanging out. And we open up the door and there's screaming happening. Like literally like, like screaming. And we're in a place where it's like a con like a townhouse. So people should hear the screaming. Not one person calls the police. Not one person knocks on the door. Not one person does anything. It seems it's going on for what is seemingly hours, but I think it was only about a 15 minute ordeal. Now that I like am processing it as an adult. So we go in and there's his sister who's 18 is running down the stairs. We walk in the front door and, and his sister is like screaming by like the basement which is below, right below us, okay? It's like eight stairs, every, every, there's like nine, seven layers of this house, which is kind of weird the way that they built them. But every room, like there's two bedrooms, then you go up and there's a bedroom, bathroom, then you go up and there's another bedroom, then you go down and there's a kitchen. Like it's, it's crazy, right? So lots of stairs. So there's probably 70 stairs in this house. So there's a lot of ground you can cover vertically. So we're walking in, we hear his sister screaming. We're walking in the front, I just like, <coughs> Excuse me, as we're walking in the front door, she's screaming and we're walking in and instead of running out of the house, he runs in and I chase after him. And we don't realize that her boyfriend, who she just broke up with, has a gun and has been chasing her through the house, terrorizing her. And she's this beautiful, she's this beautiful, well-known girl, like like when they put her picture in the newspaper, she looks like 
a supermodel. Like she's literally so beautiful. And he, she had broken up with him. I don't remember why, but she had just graduated high school. And, and, um, and he was like super pissed off at her. Like if I can't have, you know, that whole like weird kind of thing, if I can't have, you know, one will, and he's chasing her through the house and he runs and I run after him to go grab him and pull him. And boyfriend looks up and you can see through the stairs from like the kitchen to the basement. Like it's kind of all open. It's really kind of a neat layout, but dangerous if you have a gun, I guess. And, um, and she's like at the bottom of the stairs and we can kind of see her hair and he's got her like by the hair and he's got a gun and he points the gun up to Nikki and I, and I was like, what the, what the hell? Like, what is that? You know how it was like, there's a freeze flight or flight, I think are those three things. And I was being the assessor I am <laughs> evidently. And I froze and was like, whatever. And Nikki was like, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, like freaking out. And so I think his personality, the gunman's personality would have been better if we both would have just froze. But Nikki freaked out because his sister. And he went to go kind of run after him as a 10 year old boy. And I grab him and pull him back. I'm like, God, he goes, sit down on the couch. And we're like, which is literally right behind us, right? Because he's down here and he can see us and the couch right behind us, but he's like down a little bit further. And I was like, and you know being the bigger sister I guess that I have always been I'm like we have to like do <laughs> sit down so I'm just like sitting and then he finally like calms down and he comes upstairs he's literally like dragging her up the stairs with with her hair she's screaming her head off and she's like Nikki you guys get out of here and he's like, no you can't get out of here you go up the stairs I'm going to shoot you and I'm going to shoot her sit down and so we're sitting down and I don't know, they are struggling and screaming. She's screaming, and he's like, shut up. And like the whole, like the whole thing, it's just weird. And I'm uncomfortable. Duh. And so is, and so is Nikki. Right. And, but we're looking at her like, I don't have any idea. What's going. I've never experienced this before. And even as like kind of a bruiser, Nikki hasn't either. So we're just kind of chilling, I guess. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to, Sit, sit here I, I guess <laughs> like I don't know what else to do and um but the door is only about 10 feet to my left and there's two like locks and these are our, our doors are known to like get stuck because they're old doors like they're just known to like halfway lock and halfway whatever and so I'm like all right we can run but Nikki I have to bring him he's not coming like how am I going to get out? And I can't leave him because that would be terrible. I don't want to live with that guilt. And of course, I'm not having any of these thoughts. My adult self right now is having these thoughts of why I would actually be having those thoughts sitting there. <laughs> why Why wouldn't I just leave and get out? Like You don't though. Like, People always I say, oh, if I'm in this situation and it's crap because one, you're not in the situation and you don't have the, you don't have hindsight or retrospect. You walk in, especially as a 10 year old kid, but even an 18 year old, you know, young woman, you do what people say. It's, it's amazing. I think it's interesting, fascinating how people say, oh, if that were me, I would do this. No, you probably would not do that. So of those, we have lots of therapists we've talked to and of those things, freeze, flight or something i can never remember all three of them most most people or it's fight freeze flight or flight right 
so of those three, I would have thought that I would have like the Wonder Woman in me, who was like my idol growing up, like would have just taken him out. But I'm 10, I don't know anything. So I'm sitting my ass down. I'm like, okay. But I'm not thinking that anything bad's going to happen. I like see what's happening and it's being infused in my mind, but I am not really sure what's going to happen. I can't, I've never seen anybody get killed before. So I'm like, I've seen people fight. You see it on TV. You know, you watch A Team and people are, you know, whatever. That was on TV back in the day. And people are fighting, but it's not, it's not like how it is in real life. Like, so I guess to fast forward, he has a sit down and Nikki is now being, I guess, relatively compliant to the boy. That's short for uh, neglect. And so I, I'm looking at him like on the couch and I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, I, why did I even come over here? You know, like, like, how am I going to, so in my, in my little 10 year old way, I'm like, my mom's going to kill me. Like I'm in this situation. My mom is going to kick my ass. Like, I don't know. How, I'm going to explain this. I don't really understand the severity of what's actually about to happen. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening um, to him and she's still screaming and she's pleading. She's like, just let me go. Just let me go. Just let me go. He's like, no one's going to save you. No one is going to save you. You chose. And like all these like crazy things he's saying to her. And she's like, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Like the whole thing. And he just is like being like physically abusive with a gun in his hand, whacks her across the head, which is like... I, when I see things like that, I actually feel them in my body. I'm pretty clairsentient, so I, like, feel them in my body, which is something I learned through shamanism. Like, we're all connected, you know, and I'm like, that's why I felt that. Okay, that makes sense. And then I was like, oh, my God, why can't people just shut up and do what he says? Like, I'm just saying that because I, I need five seconds to think about what I'm about to do because I have no idea because nobody would stop screaming. And so I can't, even to this day, I can't handle people screaming because I can't think. Like, I just can't, which is probably a byproduct of that, where if people are screaming in there, which is probably another reason why I don't like a lot of those crazy parks where people are screaming all the time because they're having a good time. I, I can't, like, because I can't assess if it's danger or if it's fun and what they're really feeling. So I just don't put myself in that situation ever. Um, but screaming, lots of screaming. He takes her into the bathroom so he's pulling her up the stairs up the kitchen there's a tiny little bathroom if i was to guess like three feet by three feet very small half bath power bath right off of the kids or off of the living room where we're sitting and he throws her in there against the wall and he said you two get in here it's three feet wide how am i gonna fit in there i'm not getting up like, I'm sitting on the couch. I'm being a really good girl right now. Like, I'm not going in there because I don't know what happened. He's like, get in here. So all four of us are in this tiny bathroom with the door kind of shoved open. And he does Russian roulette with myself first, which I can't really see what's happening. But when he does it to Nikki, I kind of see what he does to me. And I'm like, oh, that's serious. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 that's not what's going to So he holds the like, gun to your head and actually pulls the trigger. Yes. Yeah. He has a plan. He has a plan. There is a plan. He came in there with a plan. There's two bullets. And I think there's eight slots. Right. Maybe. I don't know. Six or eight. I'm not sure. It was a revolver. And, and pulls it. And 
that that's a weird kind of like feeling because I don't know if I should be relieved or like what's going to happen because I've never experienced that before. It's weird how you kind of like try to figure out is that is that now I now he does it to Nikki and I'm like oh my god things got really serious all of a sudden we're in this tiny little space so I'm like what's gonna happen like I, this can't be it like you're 10 this can't be it like let's forget bathroom no way and so he does it to him and I'm like probably at this point pleading like please don't like I don't even know what you're doing just stop right and then he takes us both because we both live and he shoves us with both hands and shoves us out of the bathroom like literally like shoves us and we slam up against the there's like a stairwell that's open there's the wall and then there's the couch over here like pushes us so hard we literally fall into the wall I see Nikki upstairs, like the whole thing, as hard as he could. Like I've never been pushed like that before. And if I was now, I'd probably take him out. But at this point, we're like out of the bathroom. He turns around and he shoots her in front of us. And then he turns around and he shoots himself. And we sit against the wall and see it. And It was like a split second. With you yeah. two, there were no bullets, but with the two of them, there were. Yeah, oh he had God. it planned. Yeah, he had it so, he, I don't was, think he had intention of ending our lives. I think he knew that he would just pull it until until it went off. Right. He had a homicide suicide plan for the two of them and you guys walked absolutely. in on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he was just gonna do it to scare her every time. You know? But there were two extra bodies in there. Yeah, it was messed up. And so we're sitting back there, like, against the wall. And then we stand up, and they're both, like, and there's a mess. Yeah, yeah, yes. Like, there's a mess ev everywhere that direction. And I can't even, I'm trying to, like, even through regression, we're trying to remember, like, what I was wearing. Did I have stuff on my face? Like, did I did I feel something? Because when matter is... is shot at it splatters everywhere yeah but because the bathroom was so small and the way he did it it went it was directional that way and the door by that time was halfway shut when he took care of himself so i was like anyway so it gets even it gets a little bit weirder actually so now we have these two in the bathroom on the ground like whatever that looks like pause, look at each other, go to sit on the couch. We literally go on the couch that we were, I'm like, like my body like still shakes because I'm like thinking like, what do we do? 911, I don't even know was a thing back then. I can't like remember. It might, it might have been, but I'm, I'm like three years older than you are. So I don't, I don't think we would have ever known. You have to remember, there's no internet. There's no cell phones back then. You have a landline. Right. And I not don't know. One, not one neighbor. Not one neighbor. Not one neighbor who is attached to this freaking building decides that it's important enough to maybe figure out is something happening. So that's part of the thing for me, too, is if you see something, you better say something. Like... At least call for help, do something, even if you don't know them, it doesn't matter. Just like, if not you, then who, right? So, so nobody saved her, and we were we were spared. 
but no one saved her. And this was going on before I even got there. So not one person in the neighborhood, even with blood curdling screams, would even like call the police. I don't know if it's because they knew what family they were, that they're like, we're not doing that or what, but at the end of the day, we sat on the couch for a hot minute, maybe five, maybe 10 minutes, grabbed our backpacks, went out the front door, shut the door, walked to the, walked to the playground, walked to the playground and sat on the swings behind the house, literally until her mom came home, blood curdling screams came from the house, police, FBI and CIA were all there within half hour. Oh and I was gosh. like, and the news, and the news, the news was there. Well, of course, so, now they're showing, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so did you guys get interviewed? That. No, so this is the thing, is we were silent. We didn't say one thing. Once we saw the yellow tape and all, there was like 30 squads there. And there were people in black trucks and like the whole, like, it looked like a movie scene. And now that I'm in the film, it's a little bit. But we were in the back swinging, just trying to like, maybe like our backpacks were thrown in the, in the sand underneath and we just were like swinging. We're just swinging, swinging, swinging. And all the chaos is happening around us. And his mom has no idea where he is because he's supposed to be home. And we're in the back and she's like dealing with the tragedy. So I'm sure that she's not like, he's not like major priority at this point. And I'm not even sure where his dad is. I don't know if his dad is there. You know, like, I don't know if they're like together or something. Like it was just, it was just kind of a little bit hectic. And we just watched it. Literally, like this whole thing happened. The news reporters, um, the detectives, the police, the fire, the ambulance, them pulling her, pulling her out, pulling him out in a bag. Like we watched the whole thing, and we didn't say anything. And not one person asked us a thing. We were right behind the house, and not one person bothered to say, "Hey, who are you? What'd you do?" You know, because I wasn't ready to go home. I was like. Ah. I don't even know what to do. Like, you know, I'm just going to sit here and swing. So, so we just sat and swing and we were swinging. Anyway, it was probably, I don't know, like maybe an hour later, I was like, Nikki, I got to go home. Like, seriously, like I have to go home. And I went home and my stepdad was there and he was like, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, and I had an okay relationship with him. And I was like, no, there was an accident, Nikki's, and I just kind of said that, and he's like, don't, okay, so your mom's not really feeling, because she's on antidepressants, he's like, your mom's not feeling very well, he goes, what kind of accident was it, and I was like, um, his sister uh, got injured from her boyfriend, and she's screaming, and I don't think she's doing very good, you know, I just kind of looked at that, and he goes, okay, well, do you want to talk about her, and I'm like, no, he goes, I don't think you should tell your mom if it's serious. That it, just just let their family handle it. Don't tell your mom. She's going to freak out. Um, she's a little delicate right now. So don't, you know, just don't say anything. I was like, okay. He goes, but he was nice enough. He's just like, you know, you seem kind of weird. And I was like, well, I guess I am kind of weird. But I'm 10. He's like, do you want a snack? And that was the end of it, right? Right. So he did. did anyone ever put it together that you were there? <laughs> No, 
That's crazy, not right? Not one person. And and so we just kind of like went to school the next day and did our thing and it was fine, I guess, you know, and whatever. But I did have, I think some of the subsequent, like maybe results of the trauma of like seeing that kind of stuff was, I really wasn't violent until I was violent. Like in high school, I got into some trouble with some fights with some girls that were that were being kind of um, mean girls, if you will. You know, one slammed her hand in my locker trying to get my attention because I was ignoring her. And then I just threw it off the stairs and through a window. Got in trouble. She <laughs> ended in the hospital. <laughs> but it was just like weird passive aggressive behavior like that. Um, I wasn't really, I didn't get into drugs or alcohol. I didn't. I didn't do any of that kind of stuff because I've always been kind of a control freak, but I did have an eight, a temper and the temper pursued even through to this day. It's mostly contained um, because I can, I, I know a lot of really great ways to like center myself now, obviously through a shamanistic journey and, and helping other people through their trauma and things like that. But I don't know if that stuff ever really goes away. No, I think I you, about it. you end up managing it. Take us forward. So at some point you just move on with your life basically. And the only thing yeah, residual is that you aren't really angry. You're pretty laid back until you hit, you cross a line or something, and then you are very, you get very angry. Okay, so move forward and tell me how you started to piece this together later in life, because that ties in directly to what you're doing now and your mission, which is very clear. So, how did you start to recognize it and remember that trauma and work through it? You said you spent six years as a as a shaman. Yeah, in, in Bermuda, yep, on the island. Um, I was in corporate for a really long time, and I taught emotional intelligence um, in finance for a long time, which they're directly correlated with each other. There's a lot of people who are un, unemotionally intelligent and are not good at finances. <laughs> so if you can teach them both, they tend to make better decisions and appreciate money a little bit better. And um, So I, I did that for HSBC, and I did that for a long time pretty successfully, and then uh, the market crashed. Market crashed. 2008. Yep. And yeah. And so that changed everything. And that strung a whole bunch of different behaviors. So that strung like the, that pulled up the flight inside of me where I was like, okay, marriage isn't good. I'm out. Even though I have kids, I'm out, not dealing with this, not working for me. Don't you understand? This is not working for me. I have to be done. Like, and I just drew a line in the sand. And even though we're friends now, we weren't that. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, get along great now and, and he's a great dad and whatever but at the time I was like I, I just can't okay so everything that I know about life being a provider being a good employee being a good educator you know I think I'm a pretty decent mom at this point um, a good provider you know like really a good provider of um, good information on a regular basis all gone it doesn't matter it's all gone like one day 8,500 8, of us lost our job in one day yeah. Market crashed out and we were just right. We were just done. And so I cried a lot. I think because my purpose was gone. Like I wasn't educating. Um, I only knew I was licensed, so I only knew what I knew. And I was like, All right, I have to figure this out. And then I just said, You know what? I'm gonna go on a healing mission because obviously there's something that's inside of me that is not allowing me to like move forward with any of this. I went and saw a psychic. <laughs> <laughs> who, told me, who told me who basically said okay 
you're super fucked up. I can't help you. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, the psychic, right? <laughs> I was like, really? You can't guide me or anything? She goes, nope. She goes, I can, but it'll be $3,500. I was like, oh, really? $3,500 to do what? She's like, I'm going to burn 5,000 candles and you're going to have to pay for it. I'm like, okay, I got to go. So I'm having like my first experience of trying to like work through the traumas through a psychic who's probably really not mentally well to begin with, but you do what you do. I mean, you kind of do what is available. And then, and then I, uh, I was, I prayed a lot, you know, I pray a lot and um, I do, I have faith for sure. And, and I prayed and, and just decided that I'm like, all right, I've never really been steered wrong yet. So what should I do? So I prayed that night. And then I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to open up like a, a, a healing center. So I have these strange, I have these strange gifts. So I can talk to rocks. Okay. So my, let me, let me back, let me back up. My mom is a psychic medium. Okay. okay. My grandma was as well. They're very good. Let's just say it that way, but not paid, nothing like that. It's just in our, in our, it's in our heritage. It must be in our lineage and from Norway, which sounds kind of cheesy to say, but it seems, it seems acutely accurate. And so I also have those tendencies where I could see like ghosts and stuff like that when I was younger and I never really thought much of it. And it was before tragedy. So you can't blame accidents or trauma for it. It was like something that I could see. And all these alarms. And so I go um, and I pray and I'm like, huh, wonder. So I'm like, I'm like on the internet, which isn't nearly as fast as it is now. And I was like, I was looking for healing tools and I saw crystals. Go get some crystals, learn about crystals, the healing power of amethyst. You know, let's do that. Okay. So I went to the store and I, got, I went downtown where I live. I talked to like this guy that owned it who really wasn't that authentic, which obviously I could feel. And, but he offered some good information. He was kind of cheesy. And he's just like, you know what? Here's a book. Why don't you read the book? Learn, learn about, you know, some other healing modalities. See what we resonate to. And um, if you have any questions, let me know. I was like, that's fair. Well, all of a sudden I was in his, I was in his place and he's got rocks everywhere, right? You know, those crystal shops, right? You walk yeah. in. And, yeah. and so I've been in churches. I've been, I'm like, I've been everywhere. I'm like, all right, now I'm in the crystal shop. Like, what does this have to offer me? Sounds so crazy, but I'm like, I'm open. Whatever, let's do it. And the, and the crystals like started talking to me, like, like in full sentences, like I'd walk down here. And this one would say, you can use me if your heart hurts. And over here, you can use me if you have issues at work. And this helps with communication. None of that stuff is written in the, none of it's written anywhere. Like not even the name. And so I asked the guy, the inauthentic guy, and he's like, let me go get one of our crystal specialists. I was like, okay, you have one. Perfect. So I just said, I think I need this one for this and this one for this and this one, one for this. And she goes, wow, you really know those crystals? And I was like, I don't even know what they are. And she's like, no, really, that's what they do. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. She goes, you know what this one does? And I was like, yeah, it actually, it helps with like your, your inner light. And she's like, like inner light of what? And I said, well, it's like interdimensional. And she's like, where are you getting that information from? Like, do you know this? And I was like, no, but all of the crystals were talking to me. So I literally spent like $10,000 on crystal, just like on the internet, learning things, learning about things. And then I started doing these crazy things called crystal readings. Okay. If you want to do like a deeper dive into me, 
you can go to angelsinfluence.com. Literally. Angel influence? Angels, like more than one, angelsinfluence.com. Okay. That well, is you a know I'm life. all over that. Yes, yeah, so I, so I, I somehow know about quantum energetics and quantum mechanics mm-hmm. and quantum physics. And like, I just, I'm kind of a nerd like that. But now I was starting to piece things together. I'm like, huh, okay. And my dad is native. So we have shamans in our family. And so I'm exposed to all this. But remember, they got divorced when I was five. So it's not like I'm on the reservation every day. It's not like I'm learning Algonquin. It's not like I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to figure this out myself. Like, because no one's helping me. And now I'm an adult. And I'm like, WTF. Like, I don't even know what's happening. So now these crystals are starting to talk to me. And I take $250 out of my savings account. And I go rent a space down the road from my house, which is about 15 feet by 15 feet in the back of a gallery, call it an angel's of one, take those $10,000 in the rocks, put them in dishes on shelves. The news hears about it because nobody's doing it. They expose me and now I have a clientele. Oh my I gosh. have no corporate job and I have a clientele of people who want crystal reading. So I literally am making it up as I go. Wow. Like, okay. How long did you do that for? Six years. Okay. All right. So, so, so that turned into trauma therapy, which turned into teaching retreats, which turned into working with global specialists, which turned into like, I, you can't make this shit up. Seriously. Like I'm here. Somebody flies in from Bermuda, who's a world-class kinesis myofascial integration person and says, I heard about you. I'm like, how did you hear about me? My assistant's friend who was whatever lives in Wisconsin. You do this really cool thing. You seem to be connected to energy. I think I need your service. I was like, okay, flies in from Bermuda, meets with me and says, I'm flying you to San Francisco. You're going to meet with me there. We're going to work on my stuff for 48 hours. I'm going to ship you back. I was like, oh, okay. Did you like it? Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I just did it. Like, I already knew what to do. I didn't know how to, I can't explain it. Like, I was sitting in front of somebody and I would be able to, like, feel their energy and I would know exactly. Like, I see their aura and I can, like, I'm learning all the stuff, right? Like, I'm learning the words, but I'm, like, seeing it and I'm going back to when I was two. I'm like, oh, my God, I think I actually see this stuff. Like, all this stuff coming back to me. But because I was in such a type A space for so long and now suddenly I'm free and my brain is like super fucked up, it's like, just do this. I was like, oh my God, okay. I ended up doing really well with it. For six years, I traveled, I had 32 trips a year to Bermuda. Wow. Made a shit ton of, shit ton of money. Got amazing, amazing friends out of it. Sponsors, people let me stay at their house. Like, like I um, led uh, trauma retreats in Costa Rica and India, um, Indonesia, um, Toronto. Um, I'm trying to think where else. Uh, Germany, like everywhere. Like people just—it was the craziest freaking thing. I can't explain it. But I was like, okay, this is what I should be doing. But there is, there was almost, unless you believed in it, there was almost no credibility. I came from a finance concrete world, educating on emotional intelligence, going to a completely abstract metaphysical world of something that felt totally natural, completely easy for me. 
Like, I, need, I don't ever have to think about that. To this day, I have a bowl of crystals right there, and I can give you a crystal reading right now, which maybe we should do sometime. Totally fine. Yeah, I, I see. I love it. Well, you know what's hard, I think, in our society and culture and how our generation was trained is that even, like, I'm not a type A personality, I don't think, but we do things a certain way because it makes sense and we try to fit into the box. And energy works not in the box. And when I finally decided, yeah, maybe I should try things out of the box because like no harm, no foul, right? I had the most change, the most change, right? So you fell into that same situation on a really big level. How did you take that to, I mean, there is a pretty clear path from that to what you're doing now. You kind of combine both worlds. So, so we always look for modalities to, to give us purpose. So for me, it was education initially. Then it turned into education again. But I was teaching people about trauma and talking about feelings, and I could feel the energy and transferring that that data that I was taking. And we we're talking about and releasing things energetically. And quantum energetics is very interesting, and um, shamanistic practice and like um, herbs and milk kind of things, all very very interesting, but very harmonizing to the body. You can't like hurt yourself. You know, like you might stumble upon something new, you know, like, but, but there are some therapy. I'm just going to do one caveat. There are some therapies out there that I have been discovering that because they work in the neural network pathways, if you open up a Pandora's box, that's deep inside of the back of your brain, it can cause some significant damage if it's not buttoned up in between sessions. Energy work is different. Because I'm not talking specifically, I'm talking about how you feel. I'm not talking about a specific thing. I'm like, okay, in your solar plexus, I actually feel like an obstruction and it kind of goes up to your left, your, you know, your left shoulder. And it seems like they're connected from when you were like eight. Now, I'm not really sure what that is, but like we could take a deeper dive and oh, hold on. And so, and so I'm like telling you the story and it could be right. It could not be right, but it was mostly right. Like people are like, you know, they just couldn't even like understand what's happening. And then because there was a lot of student, I'm going to fast forward now, because there was a lot of uh, people on the island that heard that I could see things. They came in when they had children that had been killed so they could reconnect with their children, which is messed up, but beautiful to be on the other side of it. I'm in a room, their child is there, we connect them. They can feel it because we're all energy and they feel fulfilled and then it's a survey. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But it was, yeah. it was, it was the strange, it was the strangest thing though, because everything evolved from me reading crystals to talking about feelings, to talking about energy, to educating, to um, going to retreats, being in the middle of Central America, zip lining, but then, and doing, you know, like, like you pray love right people go there and they're like i just need an awakening you know some people really are ready for that most are not because it takes so much work and if you start the work and you don't finish it it's kind of sad it's sad to watch it's sad to witness you want people to heal from it they're not really willing to take the plunge completely to really change some behaviors they don't quite understand why the behaviors happen to begin with there's huge problems with not looking at your shit from the core from when you were 10 and you got some, something bad happened to you. And how did you feel from that? 
Like, did you ever process that? So here's me talking to myself, right? Did you ever really process that? Why did you act like this and not something else? Why did that happen to you and not your neighbor? What was that lesson in that for you? I would have never asked those questions deep inside of myself. Like, what can I do with this information? How can I help myself, but then also help others with it if I'd never experienced it? And so I stopped asking, why am I experiencing it? And more like, what can I do with it? And that was a really pivotal moment for me where I went from victim to facilitator. And I was like, all right, this happened to me. Now I'm going to take that knowledge and sure shit. Within a day or two, I was sharing that information with someone who's kind of going through something similar. It's the weirdest thing, right? Like how that happens in a minute. And you're like, wow, why, why did that even come up? That doesn't make any sense. And so I stopped asking, that doesn't make any sense. Like, or stop saying that doesn't make any sense because none of it makes sense. Sense doesn't even really exist. It's just a series of experiences. And so I just had to be open to it and go, okay, that feels right. And Oprah always said, what's my next right move? So for me, I was like, all right, based off of none of this, that makes sense. What is my next right move? What feels like my spirit wants to move forward? What feels like my spirit wants to gravitate? What feels, and so I was feeling like my spirit didn't want to be married anymore because I would have never been able to go here if I was married to that, you know, very closed off versus what are you capable of? And so I do that and it totally led to a completely different world that no one would have experienced, including myself, if I would have just stayed in the little box that I was in, in central Wisconsin. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so some people thought I was crazy. It doesn't matter. My family, half of them think I'm crazy. Like just for doing all this, but then half of them are like, holy crap, look what you've done. It's like, I think people have to be a little bit crazy in order to try to change the world. So I'm good with it. Yeah, exactly. And I think people are not super open, especially here in the U.S. I think it's more common other places to have these conversations and less here. We're a little um, closed off. It has been my experience. So no, launch- you're right. And that's how I ended up in Bermuda because people in the U.S., not right. so much. Right. Right. And you, you know that you're not crazy and you don't feel crazy and you love what you're doing and it's opening all these doors. So you find the people, you find your tribe and your tribe's not necessarily here. So now with film and stuff like that, you've taken a really an energy sort of thing. You've gone from type A to total energy to sort of a combination. So let's wrap up by talking about, then you started looking at PTS and PTSD and you're in a how can I help environment now you've put yourself in a how can I help because you're helping yourself and how can I help others and then you launch into this so let's wrap up tying those ends because I love the combination of sort of a type a world and an energy world uh yes but I didn't know that I was both so Ah. as you go on self-discovery so as you go on self-discovery I was having aha moments from myself almost sometimes hour by hour going oh that's new okay that's new could that be true like I'm like looking at people going is that right because I have no idea I'm like okay so I'm literally learning as I'm going and people are being really patient with me 
And, um, but then there's value coming out. So, all right. So now I go from being a shaman doing that to going back in, um, to family life. Cause my, you know, I'm gone for eight days. I'm home for eight days. And at the end of the day, my kids are like struggling. They're like, okay, you've been gone a lot. And like, and it's really hard to be a mom and have your kids, but I have, they have a great dad. They're safe. Everything's good. The dogs are good. The house, is good, everything's good. Right. So I'm just like, all right, that that seems to seems to be stabilized. So now fast forward, I'm now remarried with a more spiritual relationship. Three years later, I look around and go, oh my gosh, I'm in the same box. I just did all this growth. How could I quite possibly be in the same box? So obviously I didn't learn all my lessons which we, I, I will say this, you will never be done learning ever. So when you think you are, you've already lost. So I'm like, okay, I totally, I totally am back in a box. How did this happen? And so what I've learned from being an entrepreneur and a mom and all those kind of things is that when you have a calling that is greater than security, if you're willing to do it, it always works out. So for me, I left that marriage. So the flight again, and I don't, we're not really friends. We didn't have any kids. <laughs> he's, he's, not, he's not a fan. He's not a fan of me leaving. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> he wasn't a fan of me leaving. Um, um, but during those quiet moments, what ended up happening is I had this another epiphany, the whole prayer thing again. Okay, now I've done this. I'm back in corporate. I definitely don't belong there. I need a creative space that job didn't really work out. I kind of put in my time and just said, you know what, money's great, but I feel so, it feels soulless. I just, I don't think that I, I'm built for this anymore because after you lead retreats across the world with people finding themselves, it's hard to go back to a corporate environment where people are like soulless. And I just, I had a hard time with that. And I was like, all right, I've definitely sold out, get back to your roots, which is creative. And so I left the job, left the job and decided, that I was going to do something with whatever that was. So I prayed the night before. So this is what happens. So I pray and like meditate and I pray. And I was like, all right, obviously I'm not in a good place right now. I have sold out and I apologize <laughs> to everyone involved, all, all of, you know, all of the spirits, God, everyone. And I'm like, all right, you got to tell me what to do because I'm listening right now and I'm sorry. And this might be limited, but now's your time. <laughs> so I go to bed. I am quiet. I wake up with a 24 month rollout plan. Oh my God. An entire syllabus of everything that I am to do for 24 months to make this successful. The people, the places, the, the crew, the location, there's no way I could have known any of this. It all was laid out. I'm on the phone the next day to Brian, who's my business partner, and my, and my mate, just adore him. And I was like, dude, you're not gonna believe what just happened. He goes, I know you're struggling. And I was like, I don't know. He goes, so what's up? And I said, I'm gonna make a film. And he's like, oh, think, okay, about what? <laughs> and I was like, I think about mental health. And I said, I feel like I'm struggling. And even though I've been doing a really good job for the last 12 years of really trying to like get my shit together and, and disguising it as one thing or another, I really feel like I, I, I need to find a venue where I can kind of tell people stories and they can be heard. Because remember, if you go back to when I was 10, nobody could hear her. Nobody was listening to her. 
So it's really important that humanities media company that we evolved to be is a voice for those who don't have one. If you look on our website, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. It goes back to when I was 10. A voice for those who don't have one. And I'm like, all right, let's do it, you know? And normally it would make me really emotional, but I think about it, I get super excited now. Like, because the emotion is like turned into, has turned into so much action. And now our film, which is an award-winning film, best documentary in three countries, 17 worlds, people give a shit. Like people are caring. And I'm like, damn, like that's really amazing. So even though my direct story isn't in it, it provoked me to have a team with Brian and Sean Motion Pictures and Max Hauser, who's our, one of our guys, Brandon Borkman, all of those guys are film guys, to see my vision and go, we got you. I get it. We've never done anything like this before, but we get emotion and we get the truth and we'll, we're going to do it. We're going to do it for you. And I said, okay. So we all started this whole project with no money, zero money, only sweat equity. And I made phone calls with this 24 month plan that I told you because I was corporate minded. So everything played out like yep. a little bit. I'm yep. checking them off, checking them off, making phone calls, looking things up, making phone calls, not afraid to make the phone call. Don't ever be afraid to make the phone calls. Like not emails. Freaking, if there's a phone number, phone call. Seriously, a phone call will change someone's life. And so I'm calling and people are like, yes, 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 yes. I'm like, I have no budget. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Then I go to a restaurant. Now I'm going to wrap it up really quick here because we're almost done. Now I go to a restaurant. My girlfriend misses our dinner date. I'm super dressed up, looking cute. I'm at this place. The Packers, the Packers are just finished or had just finished. And this, this uh, gentleman is at the bar. She's not here. I'm on the phone. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. My family stopped by, honey. I'm sorry. It's a 40-minute drive for me. I'm like, all right, no problem. He goes, did your, did your date cancel on you? And he's like, so cute, you know, and he's 80. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, I'm going to dinner. You want to have dinner with me? And I was like, Okay. <laughs> Sure. I mean, okay, like harmless, no problem. We're in a public place. It's going to be fine. Who knows? And I've been on a thing where I'm like, I'm just going to say yes. So I said yes. And we talked and he's just like, so what brings you here? And I was like, actually, I was going to go over an idea. I just had this whole plan. And so I kind of went over the plan and he goes, oh, that's really interesting. He goes, how are you going to finance it? I was like, I have no idea. Everyone's just saying, yes, I think we're just going to do it for free. And he's like, that can never happen. That's not how that works. And I was like, hmm. And so we wrap up dinner and I tell him my quick story, like a quick snapshot of what happened when I was 10. I was like, you know, this is kind of what happened to me, but I did it in two minutes with no emotion and just said, this happened to me. He was traumatized by the two minutes of what I said because he's so emotional. He called me from his private jet the next day. I didn't know who he was me from his private job the next day and he's like Kimberly I just have to tell you that I couldn't sleep I couldn't sleep last night I'm on my way to New York right now I thought about your story I think I want to help you I was like what do you mean and he goes come to my office I was like you have an office <laughs> and he's like yeah I'll give you the address so we waited about a week went to his office 
whose company does nearly a billion dollars a year. Had no idea. Wow. So told my story. He financed it. Oh my god. The whole thing. Wow. Right? I was in deep shit debt. Like so far debt. Because I was financing everything. Saving, credit cards, you name it. Just just financing it all. Finance, charge it, charge it, break credit, charge it, charge it. It doesn't matter, it's getting done. Charge it. I'll figure it out later. Charge it. Yeah, gone. Wiped it out. And here and the you film are. Was done. And here I am. And he's he's helped us with four films. We have five films, four of which he's he's invested in us. So we have Light in the Darkness, Tethered, Workplace Garden, and the um, Rescue Story. All going to be amazing films, and we'll all be done by June of this next year. June of 2020, and have the films, and have the science behind it, and have the energy work, yeah. and it, I love yeah. it. Kimberly, thank you the whole thing. so much. Holy cow. Like, is that crazy? Is that amazing? It, it, it's crazy, but it's not crazy, because that's the, that's the world of manifesting and energy and putting yeah. yourself out there. So, yeah, I'm but like no. Drowning. I'm, like, drowning as a human being, trying to do something good having no idea how I'm going to get beyond this, talking to my friends, nobody can help because we're all broke at this point. I don't have a six-figure income anymore. I've let that go for my purpose. (laughs) And I'm just like, what are we going to do? And so now our company has grown. That happened two and a half years. It had happened April 6th of 2017. My business meeting was September 30th of 2017. So, from April to September, I struggled trying to figure it out. We had most of the film done by the time the whole financing came and I was drowning. Wow. It was a miracle. And the other beautiful thing is, is we just had the premiere on the 6th. We gave him an, a hero award on stage, which I can forward you, which yes. I have given. And I haven't put it yet. We gave him the hero award for supporting us, allowing this film to be the voice for those who don't have one. And his wife was there to watch. Yay. It was the coolest thing ever. We never met her and she was there. And she's a huge supporter of the arts. And, and it was a really kind of beautiful moment. Like all of this stuff had kind of come full circle and we brought him on the stage and we had three, 400 people in the audience. And, and I was like, this is amazing. How does this happen? And I'm just like, with hard work and dedication, you too should be successful, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And a lot of but other stuff. Yeah. yeah. And faith, so much faith, 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 faith. And I made phone calls. So that's what happened. So although my story's long, I'm sure you can cut a lot of it. But at the end of the day, like, you never know. Because if it wasn't meant to come out, I would have never met him. I would have never said my, oh, and that's, this is the thing, is when I told him the story, the last person I told the story to was my stepdad who was dead. So nobody oh. knew the story until that night. He was the first person I told in like 35 years. And that kind of sprung the whole thing. And in the end, it was someone's story that provoked someone who had means to be able to to help so many. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story. It is incredible. And everything's in the show notes. All the links are in the show notes. So that's amazing. Thank you. 
Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.